Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Above them, the manzanita and eucalyptus bent in the evening convection wind. Being outdoors was a celebration of the uneven, thought Marty. The rich variations of color and textures of multiple layers of dry leaves and stones. A yellow leaf drifted down into her pile of beans. Seagulls wheeled and called nearby. A piece of wood leapt musically off the chopping block. Wood was certainly a celebration of the irregular, the naughty. Chiaroscuro light surrounded them. Perhaps there were few Taoists in the world who enjoyed nature just as it was, but Marty felt lucky to be one of them and to have found Doug, a natural-born Taoist, if ever there was one. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm talking to Connie Kronlocken, author of So Are You to My Thoughts, which takes place over the course of a decade in the life of the greater Mickelson family. The author focuses on three siblings, although we also hear about oldest sister Ellie, who generously pays to rebuild the family's vacation cabin in Minnesota. This latest installment, the seventh and final book in a series about the Mickelsons, focuses on Caroline, called Lena, Margaret called Marty, and Paul. Lena and her husband Stephen return from abroad and settle into their home with Stephen's aging father. Marty is absorbed with her soon-to-be husband who runs a winery in the Santa Cruz Mountains and his four children. And Paul tries to provide his beloved wife with the experiences she most enjoys. But cancer wins, and then Paul is left to figure out how to live his life alone. It's a decade that begins with an imperialistic war and ends with the election of the nation's first black president. Hi, Connie. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for for having me. I'm just delighted to be here. So how did you start writing these fictionalized accounts of your family? You know, I I had this really wonderful family, um, especially my parents, um, my mother and dad, who um, appear in these books. And it almost felt like legendary to me because I moved away from it. And uh, But there was this small town in North Dakota that I grew up in. And ever since, the rest of it's been this expansive project, you know, of uh, people moving out of a, a rather um, tight Scandinavian Lutheran culture into the big wide world of diversity. And so I took um, my mother and dad about 10 years ago. I started uh, this fictional process. I published the first four books in 2015 because I had finished them and I thought I should just get, get the whole thing started. And then, um, then I published the last three now in the last couple of years. And, um, you know, my, my family all knows about it, but it is fiction and they're not not very worried about it. <laughs> Do they recognize themselves on the characters and how does that affect you? Well, um, 
it started in my mind a little bit as a discussion between um, my sister and myself, because we were the oldest two. And so one of us became Marty and the other became Lena. And uh, Lena, you know, is, uh, she's about the same age as I am. And she has a slightly different background, of course, from the fiction. The fiction, you know, none of this happened as uh, I believe that um, Ann Patchett's mother said, but all of it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in other words, um, she they don't care. You know, they're, everybody in the book, you know, I've I'll let them know if they're in the book. And then, you know, I try to get their uh, approval before I fictionalize them and uh, they don't seem worried about it. And everybody's beautiful and smart <laughs> and successful. So what's not to like? Um, so let's talk about the brother. There's there's three siblings that are really focused on. And as a cancer survivor, I was upset to read that Paul's wife, Marie. Yeah. Um, they didn't have enough insurance so they skipped treatments following her bilateral mastectomy. Can you talk about I, that? What was up with that? I think it was more than, you know, lack of insurance. They could have done it, but it was really more a philosophy. Um, and it was Marie's choice. I, um, you know, I know that I followed uh, another writer's cancer treatment that I know of, and um she did the same thing. She just walked away after the uh, mastectomy. And that's the way I felt that Marie would want to do it also. She just didn't, you know, and there are people I think that have survived without much treatment for a while, for a little while. And uh, they, you know, I mean, Marie just didn't want the uh, chemotherapy and the radiation. She was going to try it this way. Yeah, they survive until the cancer comes back. It was upsetting. Paul and Marie, they had no children, but she had a daughter, Grace. Can you talk about Grace? So Grace grew up with her um, grandparents because Marie had had really quite a checkered past. She she was a singer her whole life, and she got caught up in the uh, folk songs in the 60s, went to L.A., got married, you know, and then her, she couldn't take care of her daughter and her uh, husband left her. And so she, you know, she just kind of drifted around until she meets um, Paul, who, who loves her desperately. And uh, so they become a couple. But um, the daughter, then Grace, uh, comes back into their lives and, um, you know, she gets married and has a bunch of kids so that when Marie dies, Paul uh, has about five grandchildren (laughs) that he's close to. Just to check. So is there a brother in your real family? One. Okay. Okay. Seven girls (laughs) and one boy. And so he is definitely part of the, uh, you know, of that character, Paul. And he edited everything because, you know, I, I was nervous. I had another sister who edited the whole book, but he edited all the Paul chapters because, you know, he, you know, I'm not, I wanted to make sure that it worked for a male. Right, right. Paul is starting uh, to learn computer languages at the very beginning in the 90s. And he loves being in nature with his dog. What else do you love about him? Um, well, he, he's a, somewhat thing of a scientist, but 
in a way that isn't really um, professional, you know, so he's more of a um, naturalist and, you know, what he's doing as well as he can is kind of keeping notes. He has a blog that he um, uh, fills in all the information that he, that happens in the Northwoods as he sees it with as much detail as possible. He's kind of a writer also, but he uh, makes his living doing computer programming. So they were all, the Nicholson kids, they were all raised by a minister in yeah. a, as you said, in, uh, I, were they raised in South Dakota too? Several no. places, I think. Um, but Paul seems to be the only one of the siblings who feels strongly about theology and Christianity. What happened to the other siblings? Well, for Marty, you know, they went to Christian colleges but for Marty, she actually loses her faith in one of the earlier books, just all of a sudden in a philosophy class. Mm. Someone asks a question that just resonates with her. They ask, um, well, what? why did Jesus Christ come there? Why wouldn't he come somewhere in China? Why didn't he arrive in China? And she's just like, yep, that's, that's it. You know, <laughs> it's not the oh. only, uh, you know, uh, son of God, you know. Okay. You had eight in your family and the Mickelsons are six siblings. Yes. So, uh, so we are in the book, you're focused on Paul, um, Lena and Marty. What about the other three Mickelson kids? Well, Hannah comes in quite a bit. She's the youngest and Ellie also, um, Ellie is almost a slightly different generation because she, um, three or four years older than Lena, I think. And um, she she marries into a corporate family. So she has, you know, the 3M Corporation in Minnesota. She has a lot more um, money than the rest of them. <laughs> the rest of them all, you know, choose things to do that are more what they like. You know, they, they're not focused on careers, really. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about Lena. She works in hospice care and she's very careful about her food intake. There's a lot about her food intake that she's worried about. Her kids are older and they don't need her as much. So she's trying different things like painting. Yes. What what would you say is what's most important to her? What, how would you describe her? It's um, interesting. I mean, I, you know, I sort of think in classical terms, like their goodness, truth, and beauty. So Mm -hmm. goodness is really Lena's focus. She um, is, there's a lot more p- politics between her and Stephen than, than the others uh, in their lives. And uh, so she, she's focused on fairness, you know, unfairness. She really hates even from a child. Yeah, I see that. Tell me about Lena's father-in-law, Papa. Yeah, Papa is, so Papa really has only one child, Stephen, and his wife died really way at the beginning. And so Lena's only met her once at the wedding. And she's shortly after that, she, uh, she died as well. And um, so Papa's only family is, is Lena's family, her kids. And he's very close to them, uh, particularly the son, Christy, who, um, because of things that happened early in their marriage, He's not close to his father, but he's close to his grandfather, Papa. Mm-hmm. 
And Papa, you know, he, he was an immigration lawyer in Brooklyn and he um, had a brownstone in Brooklyn. And so it um, really becomes the focus. I mean, you know, like his, he had his, his father before him had done this as well. He was an attorney in, in Brooklyn and they have this house that of course by now is worth a great deal. And so Papa, in the end, at the beginning, you know, Lena and Stephen are really kind of poor. They live on very little money on Stephen's um, salary in Santa Cruz as a professor of philosophy. And then, uh, but then when Papa comes out, he, you know, he retires, he buys a big, you know, beautiful house in Santa Cruz and they all live there. And, and uh, except of course the kids, you know, Lena's kids are, are spreading out too. <laughs> you know, they're all, one of them goes to Chile and one of them uh, is in, you know, like, so it's, it's expansive is what I was trying to say. That's what happens with families at that point. Yeah. And Lena and Stephen's oldest son, eldest son works in politics in Minnesota. Yes. And he gets to establish a relationship with Paul. Yes. Uncle Paul. And this son named Christy is, he's so interesting because he worked on the campaign of Senator Paul Wellstone. Yes. And I remember when Senator Wellstone and his family died in the plane crash. Oh, yeah. Just before the election in 2002. Yeah. Um, so d- did that really happen to somebody in the fam- in your family? In- no, not that okay. was all research. That was, okay. Yeah. That but was really one of my sisters, you know, I have, you know, my main connections are in Minnesota and in California. And so one of my sisters mentioned Paul Wellstone to me and I hadn't really heard of him. And so I did quite a bit of research um, regarding politics in Minnesota. Ah, so um, they, Lena and Marty, we talked about a little bit about neither of them are religious, even though their dad was a Lutheran minister. Right. But they, they each choose a spiritual path. Thank you. That I'm means something to them. Believe that. Yeah. yeah. So can you talk about the different paths that they chose? Well, Marty, um, you know, I see her as somebody who's always most interested in beauty, poetry, beauty, you know, um, the natural world reality. Um, and so she's from that, you know, part of the, uh, the classical triad, you know, like beauty. And, and Lena's more from goodness. And then Paul is more from truth, you know, science. He sees it, uh, you know, things through that lens. But of course, you know, like when you get down to it, goodness, truth, and beauty, something's not beautiful if it isn't good and true as well. So that's kind of where their, their philosophy comes from. Yeah. Marty is just like you, an ardent practitioner of Tai Chi, I happen yeah. to notice. <laughs> um, so tell us about the parallels between Marty and you. Well, I mean, I I did allow Marty to be a voice for myself to some extent. She thinks, for instance, that people are not educated in taste enough. That's what we need is is taste. <laughs> and people just aren't educated in that. And now, as for Tai Chi, she um, Marty was a person who, she was first married to an alcoholic. And, you know, she was a person who, like... Um, 
you know, we used to talk about it, you know, she leaned too far in the, in the direction of another person and, you know, like couldn't find her own boundaries. And so um, Tai Chi it helped establish boundaries for her because when you're doing it, everybody has to do it themselves. You kind of use each other's energy, but you're standing next to each other far enough away to um, not be able to help each other, really. And so that's one of the things you get from Tai Chi, you know, as well, you know, Marty hadn't been ever a very sporty person. So it really, she was a photographer and a uh, reader and writer. So this was the first time she really had any physical, uh, you know, instruction that worked for her and it did work. I love that she got Doug to do it and that it was an activity that they did together, which <laughs> As the kids, once the kids moved out, I think that was more. Yeah, I think more when he has time. He's a very busy guy because viticulture is very, you know, involved. I like how much you talk about it. And there's there's a lot of drinking of wine and discussion of wine. Um, that was a lot, was, was enjoyable. And I like that you also referenced the movie Sideways, yes. about, <laughs> which was hysterical. Yeah. I think they destroyed, did, did they destroy the Merlot industry or the Pinot? And I forget which one. Merlot, anyway. Merlot had <laughs> been a big deal out here. And then, uh, you know, it kind of flipped. And um, the same guy, I think, really did it. You know, he was a, a really a marketing whiz, Derek Benham. Yeah. And... Somebody else just picked up on that, I think, and um, put it in the movie. Marty and Doug do some amazing traveling, Paris, Hawaii, with the children. <laughs> and then they do this, also this wonderful treasure hunt all over, is it San Francisco that they go yes. to San Francisco to do this amazing, yes. yeah. So I want to do that. I want all that information. I want to do that. I want to go to San Francisco and do a treasure hunt. No, I'd like you to, could you please tell us more about how wonderful <laughs> they are as parents? Well, this, this is completely from life, and my husband doesn't mind. He, we did not have four kids. <laughs> my husband had one kid when I uh, married him, and he um, did do he, – he just didn't believe that – you know, he thought that, you know, the, that his son was getting too much stuff already, or that's the way Doug feels. You know, his wife, Mackenzie, is um, just – you know, she, instead of affection, she gives, you know, stuff, presents. And so Doug is the opposite. He he uh, sets up these, you know, all these treasure hunts, for instance, and one of them which ended up in Hawaii and, you know, uh, takes his kids to Europe and, and you know, like, and camping and, and things like that. He wants them to be involved in the real world and to feel comfortable in the real world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the kids start growing up and they're thinking about college and I couldn't help but be jealous as usual about your amazing choices in California. We don't have that in Illinois. Really? But yeah, we just don't. And it's probably going to get worse now during the, after the pandemic, but you have so many gorgeous campuses and so many choices. Can you talk about that for a minute? Did you? Well, I, I just read, you know, the, uh, the Browns of California, and Jerry Brown and his father, his father really built up the UC system. And, you know, Jerry initially thought that they had too much money and he didn't help very much. <laughs> but then, um, you know, like I, this campus at um, Mer in Merced, my, uh, I happened to have visited this campus 
And this is a brand new campus. It's part of the UC system. The um, Santa Cruz campus is also really interesting, but that just got started in the 70s. This one in Merced really got going, you know, in about 2000. And then, um, then there are a bunch of other private wonderful colleges too, like, of course, you know, Stanford and, uh, you know, the Claremont Colleges and... Caltech. Yep. Yep. No, we, we, we are very lucky. And, and I think that's yes. helped fuel some of the Silicon Valley thing that's going on. Of course. Then Lena starts having physical issues and she's finally diagnosed. Yes. Um, but there's no cure for what she has. No. And, she, but, and she's a believer in self-healing. So yeah. does that work for her? How does that well, work? I mean, this just between us, my sister, uh, who is Lena, <laughs> she is by this time almost completely paralyzed. She lives in Yorkshire, England. I talk to her every week. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, it's taken 20 years to get to this point. But, you know, it's, it's really a downhill and it's unlikely, you know, that anyone would actually even live as long as she has. But um, so she did follow Western medicine, but there is no cure for multiple sclerosis. Yeah. She tried all kinds of things, but um, but by this time, you know, um, really her spirit is what (laughs) takes the best care of her. Hmm. Oh, well, I hope I hope she continues to stay healthy. Yes. Let's discuss the food in your book. Even though there's talk about a lot of talk about health, there are a lot of delicious sounding pies, ice, homemade ice cream, brownies and cookies. For me, there's a little too much meat and bacon, like stuff I don't eat. But there's also lots of vegetables and fruits. Let's discuss. Well, I, I know that you're a vegan because I, I've paid attention to your recipes. <laughs> and I'm not really. I'm vegetarian. But the, my, my pastry chef in my book is a vegan. So that's why there's so much vegan. I see. I see. Okay. Um, well, yeah, it's very, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, I have a younger sister too, and a young, now my brother also, they're both almost completely vegan. I'm kind of an omnivore. I'll eat anything, but of course we, you know, totally enjoyed the, uh, you know, the sort of food paradise that California is. <laughs> and yeah. even now we, you know, it's, it's difficult, but we go out to the farmer's market and buy organic food. Or, or fruits and vegetables, you know, and um, we, we don't eat much meat really, but, you know, in the past, you know, there's just been, you know, it's been a, a, a real feast out here. And the, your characters, the food that they eat is just amazing. Partly that was my husband's emphasis on real life. You know, like he's, he's afraid that people are too much into their screens and their virtual lives and if you really take hold and enjoy your real life, and f- at least in terms of, you know, uh, our son, you know, that he, he, we really made a foodie out of him. <laughs> Good for you. Even, even if restaurants are closed, it's still. Well, at, you know, at early, you know, he's, he's 25 now and he lives in Portland, Oregon. And believe me, they have great food up there too. <laughs> You know what? For foodies, there's every all of the great cities yeah. have, yeah. have choices. Exactly. Uh, well, I really loved reading about the food, and <laughs> I had to stop a couple times to to have a snack while I was. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. Um, 
you know, recommendation. <laughs> yeah. So, so what are you working on next? Well, um, I'm, it, it's a, an adventure story or the way I look at it, it's an adventure story about uh, growing older and how the inner, inner world and the outer world mesh. You know, as everybody knows, you're, as you get older, you're, you're, world constricts a little bit, but how does that happen? And, and does your inner world get bigger? And so that's kind of, you know, I've got, I've had always full of ideas. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that's what I'll, I'm going to be working on. All right. Are you, you have you started it? No, I'm um, trying to do an editing project right now and I'll fit and I will. And anyway, I, I want to think about this. I haven't really quite figured out the form for it. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's tempting, you know, all the blogs and, and so on right now that uh, you, you're able to follow it as, as people go. So that's tempting. But so I might try to do something like that rather than wait till there's a complete book. Okay. Well, good luck with that. Connie, it was so much fun talking to you. It was fun reading the books and fun talking to you. But I think I need another snack now. <laughs> Thanks. Billy, <laughs> I, I, I was delighted to talk to you and um, I'm interested in your books too and I will uh, keep, keep it all in mind and thank you for joining me again this is G.P. Gottlieb author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host of New Books and Literature a podcast channel on the New Books Network Today, I've been talking with Connie Cronlocken, author of So Are You to My Thoughts. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Book Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creativity community. As New Book Network listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash nbn forward slash join.